This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, talking to the biggest names in sports business. And today, on location for the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Postano. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. Great to be with you this week. It's a special edition of Sports Business Radio. It's our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. We did our road show on April 10th at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State. My guest was Arizona Diamondbacks president and CEO Derek Hall. I'd never had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Derek before. And as I think you'll find from this conversation, really a terrific guy, very insightful, very candid. I want to thank the Sports Business Association and ASU for hosting our road show. If you go to the hashtag SB Radio ASU, you can see some of the images that we posted on social media from our event. We even periscoped some of the event. You can follow us on Periscope the new app, at SB Radio. Pistano provided terrific social media aggregation visuals for our event as well, so thanks to Pistano. We now bring you my conversation at Arizona State with Arizona Diamondbacks President and CEO, Derek Hall. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pistano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pistano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, As Beth was saying, we take our show on the road a few times a year. We were at uh, UCLA in December with Baron Davis. We've talked with uh, Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, uh, Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, and it's fun for us to interact with students and and get out of the studio and and take our show uh, to live audiences. As you'll see, we've got displays that we use that encourage social media interaction. Um, I would encourage you to tweet, Instagram, take pictures, if you want to you know, make note of any of the comments that we're talking about up here, and use the hashtag SBRadioASU, and we thank Pistano for creating these great visualizations for us. So our featured guest today is someone that I've heard a lot about and someone that I've had the opportunity to chat with a little bit backstage, uh, really ASU royalty. Uh, one of the, the most respected people in Major League Baseball, but when I was doing my, my homework, 1991 Man of the Year at Arizona State, um, Cronkite School Hall of Famer. So we're very, very fortunate. We love to do this when we take our show on the road to have someone who's associated with the school. So let's give a big round of applause for Derek Hall. Thank you. 
Thank, Thank you. you, Brian. Have a Thank seat. you, everybody. That just means I'm old, everything that you just mentioned. <laughs> no, you're not old. So what is it like being back here at Arizona State? You started, uh, you know, really your, your ascension here on this campus. What are the emotions when you walk back on the campus? Uh, the memories, but, but it, it's also new, too. I mean, we didn't have these buildings. We didn't have right. the business school. And, and I studied with Walter Cronkite here on this campus, which now is downtown. But anytime I get over to this campus, I can't believe how large it's grown. I'm actually one of the, I'm on the board of trustees, so I, I get to see that growth firsthand, but it's, it's always fun to come back here. This is such an amazing place, and I'm excited for all the students because the, you know, the future is so bright for all of you. Who are some of the people, when you look back at your time here at Arizona State, that impacted your career? I know, you know, when I was going to Loyola Marymount, there were those one or two teachers or advisors that made an impact on me. Who made an impact on you? There was a professor, uh, some of you may know, Jim Dove, and he really ran the, the whole Walter Cronkite School, and he was so busy himself because he was doing all of the directing for the football games at Sun Devil Stadium, both for the Cardinals and ASU. He was doing Sunday night baseball, Monday night baseball, Sunday night football for ESPN. So everybody loved and admired Jim Dove. And, and he, was, he and I became very close. And we were good friends afterwards, too. But to be chummy and friendly with your professor was always a good thing. And then we kept in contact after that. And he's been a very close friend. He recently retired, which is a big hit and a big loss to this, this school. But he really had a big influence. I remember one day he calls me in. Uh, he was actually at the end of our class. And, and our class was pretty intense. And he came up to me near the end. He said, puts his hand on my shoulder. He said, I'd like to see you one-on-one -on -one today. And he looked really stern. He said, I want to see you in my office today. And I went, oh, no, what did I do? I said, well, okay. I, I said, I got you know, lunch, and I, I have a 140. What if I come here at 1? And he said, yeah, 1 o'clock's fine. My office. And I thought, oh, no. So I'm sweating it out. I go, and I knock on his door and open it up. And he said, come in. Shut the door. I came in and shut the door. And he gets up and says, you need to explain yourself and tell me what this is. And he hits play on his deck. And I look, and on the TV, all of a sudden, my fraternity party comes up, <laughs> which was called relays and it was uh, it was every sorority in our swimming pool doing you know ridiculous <laughs> contests against each other and he's like this is amazing tell me about this <laughs> <laughs> that's why you called me back and uh, we just hit it off after that he's, he's such a good guy that's great yeah, well, he influenced me all the leadership at the time you know the university president i was involved with uh with uh, ASASU. I was a devil's advocate, so I gave tours walking backwards. I had a great experience at ASU. It was such a large camp, not as big as it is now, you know, now the largest, but I think at the time we had probably 50,000, 45 or 50,000 students, but to make it feel small, that's the key, and we did that. All right, so you have all these students, yeah. and you get named Man of the Year. What do you have to do to be named Man of the Year uh, at I Arizona State? I don't know. It, it was, you know, it was a nice honor. I mean, it, it, my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was laughing about it, like, how are you married? <laughs> same question. Uh, and I, I still don't know how that happened, but it's nice. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a year where it, it was comical because, you know, first I was named to homecoming court, which is a little embarrassing. Then, and then I got Greek man of the year and then ASU man of the year. And, and for that, I got thrown in a fountain. That was all. Well, and you've maintained the connection. Like you oh, said, yeah. you're still very active here Love at it. Arizona State. Go to Sun Devil Athletics. we got a lot of our Sun Devils who are interns. We have a lot of Sun Devils who work at, at uh, the Diamondbacks. And, and U of A, too. As much as you know, this room may not want to hear it, we have, we have a lot of U of A in our building, too. It's, it's, it's great that we have that connection with all the universities. Now we have some GCU grads. We have Northern Arizona. Uh, I think it's really important that we try and stay as local as we can and develop those, those students into, into their careers and, and career paths. A lot of the students in this room are trying to figure out what's my path yes, they for are. the future. You 
uh, started Single A, Vero Beach, I did. Dodgers, and you've worked your way up all the way to president and CEO of the Diamondbacks. Probably, probably the best thing, Brian, I could have done was start in minor league baseball because you really yeah. get a sense and you get a feel for the fan. And there yeah, I was yeah. at, at Holman Stadium in, in Vero Beach at Dodger Town working for the Vero Beach Dodgers, and we did everything. As an intern, I mean, I had to pull the tarp before it rained. I had to stock the shelves. I knew what <laughs> every fan's preference was, whether they liked frozen lemonade, whether they liked Bud Light. Um, you know, knew them all. I had to sell tickets. I had to stamp the programs with lucky stamps to win a free car wash if they had the stamp on page 68. You know, but it, doing it all was so great for me, and, and it really gave me a sense of what's important to fans, how important it is for organizations to have that fan interaction and to know their fans firsthand, and that's, that's where my training ground was. Well, and you got, is it the circle of success? Yes, we created the circle of success uh, at the Diamondbacks a few years back, and it's, it's really our five main areas of focus, mm -hmm. and it's uh, financial efficiency, it's culture, which is top right. priority of mine, community, which is another top priority of mine, um, it is uh, performance and fan experience. And those are our five main areas of focus. If we're not focused on those areas, we're not doing our jobs. There's some, some points where we're focused more so on one, like right now it's performance, trying to get back on track after the year we had last year. Worst record in baseball, probably the most injuries next to the, the Rangers. It was a tough season, so you focus more so on, on trying to correct that. So part of how you're correcting that is you've got a uh, new front office. Yes, and you're do. the first organization to have a chief baseball officer, Tony LaRusso, who, you know, one of the most unbelievable minds in, in baseball history. But how did you decide, okay, this is the structure with a chief baseball officer. You've got Dave Stewart. How did you decide on that new structure? Well, it was tough because, you know, we had uh, a front office intact in, in that I had a lot of respect for, mm -hmm. and they had had a lot of success. So you go from winning the West in 2011 to high expectations to supposedly, I mean, the experts were putting us in the, in the World Series that next year, and we finished 500. Year after that, the expectations were high again, we finished 500. Um, so when we started out 8-22 and 22 last year, we knew that there had to be some change. You know, so it, that's the unfortunate thing about, about our businesses is there's often change. And when things aren't going well because you're in the business for W's, you know, on the field or on the ice, whatever it may be, uh, or on the court, you have to make changes, and it's tough. And so I knew we were probably going to have to address the situation with a manager, general manager. You know, we had Kirk Gibson, we had Kevin Towers, both very good friends of mine. Uh, and I didn't know whether I wanted to move both, move one, keep both. And, you know, I reached out to Tony because Tony was working for Major League Baseball at the time. I've got a lot of respect for Tony LaRusso, and, and everybody should for his accomplishments. And he's a bright, bright man, and he's, he's motivated, he's smart, he's, he's passionate, he's, he's competitive as can be. And I, I remember calling him, and uh, I left him a message and said, Tony, you know our situation. You know, if you have any interest in even having a conversation confidentially, you know, give me a call. And this was on like a Thursday. I don't hear anything. Thursday morning. So all Thursday, no, no, no call back. Friday, nothing. Saturday, nothing. Sunday, nothing. So I got the message. You know, he definitely wasn't interested. And Monday, I'm in a meeting, Monday morning, and my phone rings. I look down. It's Tony LaRusso. I hit ignore because I'm in a meeting. Ten minutes later, I look down, it's Tony LaRusso. I hit ignore again. I'm in this meeting. Ten minutes later, he ignore. And I think he he's must be interested. He's stalking you. No, yeah. he's stalking me. So I leave the meeting. I call him. I said, hey, Tony, sorry. I was in a meeting. He said, hey, you left a message on my home number. Don't ever leave a message. I'm never at home. I, I just got it. So we, we had a couple of conversations, and I knew this was the direction I wanted to go. So I wanted him to come in and evaluate with me. So I, I created that position of chief mm -hmm. baseball officer. And at the end of the day, we decided to make a change in both, and we brought in a, a new staff that's doing a very nice job. And he has a lot of familiarity with Dave, Dave Stewart, who, of course, I mean, very unique in that he pitched and, and was a world champ and right. you know, was the ace of so many staffs and dominant on the mound. He ended up becoming a pitching coach. He was an assistant GM, and he was an agent. 
So no general manager has had that, that breadth of, of experience and knowledge. So it made a lot of sense for him to come in. And then uh, we made a couple of other moves. You know, in fact, our field manager, we went, to, we went to a U of A grad. Where's Brett Hansen? Where is he? Where is Brett? Yeah, we brought in, uh, <laughs> hey, Brett. Brought in Chip Hale, who had been a manager in our, our minor league system. You know, he was our AAA manager when he won the PCL, and then he went on to win the, the AAA uh, championship as well. He was our, our biggest managerial prospect, and we ended up moving him up into the coaching ranks. And uh, when we, at the time, had fired Bob Melvin, uh, Chip sort of went with him. But first he went to New York as a third base coach, went to Oakland as a, as a bench coach, and it was perfect timing for him to come over. And he's been just outstanding so far. One of the things I've always admired about the organization you talk about culture is uh, keeping people, like last year, uh, I am up in Oregon, so I got to know Mark Grace. Yeah. And keeping people like him and... Gonzo and some of your former players who have so much heritage with the organization, you've kept them in-house and you've found great roles for them. And I think it's great when sports organizations can do that and they don't just like, you see new management come in and they turn the page and it's like you forget the history of the organization. And I think that's a mistake. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you, you take someone like Gonzo, Luis Gonzalez, who was our most popular player ever to wear a uniform. And when we made the decision uh, in 06, I believe it was, for him to, to move on, that was a really tough decision to make. And you know, our fans weren't happy. He wasn't happy. He left on not the best of terms, as you can imagine. Uh, and for us to, to now be where we are, I mean, he's a D-back again. He's one of my special assistants. He is so good. He does so much for the community. He, you know, fans still adore him. He'll do anything we ask. Created a similar position for J.J. Putz. And here's a guy who... Uh, was one of the best closers in our history, and during his last contract negotiation, you know, he even said to me, "I only want to do a one-year deal," and he said, "Because you know, after this year, I just want to work for you for the rest of my career," which is so nice to hear. Wow. Uh, Roland Heeman is another one of ours, and Roland Heeman, a lot of you may not know, but Roland Heeman has done more for Major League Baseball than arguably any executive. Roland is. Um, you know, he's getting up there. He's in his upper 80s. Yesterday, we dedicated a field in his name. Oh, that's it was cool. a very emotional event. He, he has received the Buck O'Neill Award in the past, so he's in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown for that. He's been a general manager of the Orioles, of the White Sox. He's been assistant general manager at places, scouting director for the Angels. He's worked you know, countless jobs for 65 years, and uh, to have him as an assistant, be able to pick from his, his brain as well. But I think it's very important to surround yourself with people that played for that team to make sure that they are in uniform or out of uniform in the front office and, and start to build that legacy. You know, having grown up and cut my teeth in the Dodger organization, we had that. Mm -hmm. You know, we had that tradition for years. And you'd go to Dodger Town and you would see, you know, Don Newcomb and you, right. would, you would see Maury Wills and Sandy Koufax and, and, and Roseboro. But we didn't have that here because mm -hmm. we're such, such a young organization. So now as our popular players have moved on, you know, we had Matt Williams. And for him to be able to go and, and be the manager now, and I recommended him for that job mm -hmm. with the owners in Washington, and the learners uh, fortunately hired him because mm -hmm. he's terrific. Mark Grace, as you mentioned. I mean, I think it's important for us to get those guys back. And there's players that are playing now, I could mention probably a handful, that we've got our eyes on to come back either as coaches or in the front office role. Well, and Randy Johnson going Randy into the Johnson. Hall of Fame. And, and He's now working for us this yep. year, and he selected the D-backs. He'll be our first Hall of Famer That's great. Uh, this year. And, and, boy, has he changed, you know, because he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't exactly the nicest guy to approach when he was playing <laughs> and sort of sat in the corner, you know, where his lockers were and, and lockers, and, uh, and you didn't really go up to him, especially the day he was pitching. He's completely different now. He wants to help. He's interacting with the community. He gets it. It's really nice to see this. So when Gonzo and JJ were up in Hillsboro yeah. about a month ago for a Hillsboro Hops uh, function, 
I was talking to Gonzo and I said, all right, I'm going to be sitting down with Derek. I said, give me a question to ask Derek. And he said, ask him why he needs four special assistants. <laughs> yeah, he liked when he was the only one. That's yeah. why. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's feeling a little, little uh, deprived and underappreciated. Um, again, it's, it's nice to have so many different you know, expertise right. areas. Uh, Gonzo's great. That same trip you, you mentioned, he and JJ go up there. They have this function and they have an auction. And they go over and they meet this, this kid in a wheelchair. Yeah, I saw it. It was amazing. Yeah. And he's got his eyes on this watch. He wants mm -hmm. to get this baseball watch that's got special stitching. And every time someone would bid ahead of him, he'd go over and he'd put his name down. He'd, he had told them, I don't have much money, but I want that watch. I want that watch. So he goes over and he realizes someone just went ahead down to the buy it now, which is you pay way over the amount. And, he's, and he gets upset. And he, mm -hmm. He's teary. And they went over and said, what's the matter? And he said, well, I can't buy it now. Someone just bought it. And they said, we did. He said, you bought the watch? Why would you buy the watch? You knew I wanted that. They said, we bought it for you, yeah. which is really no, cool. Yeah, was, that's, was, uh, that's who we have. Yeah. yeah, Boy, and they had some great baseball stories. Uh, absolutely. During, They're during awesome. They are. Baseball and players have the best stories of any athletes in any sport. They do, and they know how to tell stories, you know, because they're around each other so much. Right. I mean, we have the longest sport of any, any uh, or longest season of any sport. You have 162 games. You're with each other for six weeks in spring training. Oh. You hope to have postseason play after that. They're together all the time. Right. So they're with their players and teammates more than they are their family. So, of course, you've got stories. And they're... There are stories I, I can tell you that I heard for years from Tommy Lasorda and from Vince Scully and Billy DeLury, who was a traveling secretary who passed away, and, and Josh Rowich, our senior VP of communications, and I are going to go to his funeral this week or mm -hmm. next week. But great stories. That's what baseball's about. So, you, again, you worked in the Dodger organization. Yeah. and Don't like them. You worked your way up. Yeah. How is that? You know, so you... Uh, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers, and some of my friends joke, well, you're just always changing logos on the golf shirt. Right. You know, so it, it's kind of hard sometimes to go from, you know, I hated this organization, to now I'm working for them, and now it, I dislike this one. It, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, I grew up being a Dodger fan, grew, grew up in L.A. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to work for the Dodgers, wanted to figure out how, and I got to. Right. And, you know, ultimately was senior VP there. And my dream had come true. You know, I was saying earlier, you know, Vince Scully worked for me. And I used to say he was the only employee that could have fired me if he wanted to. <laughs> um, but, but it was such a great place, and I'd pinch myself every day. So you think transitioning over, you're never going to be able to lose that allegiance or that love or loyalty for that team. I can't stand them. And, and uh, I could say that publicly, and I do. And Josh feels the same way. He came over and <laughs> says, was it weird? How do you not? I go, no. You know, it's, you'll see. It's going to happen. In fact, you know, opening day, I'm always asked. And, and the first time I was asked by the morning show, you know, they said, you're always talking about Sedona Red and how much you love the D-backs and this and that. I mean, who do you hate more? You know, the Dodgers, Giants, Rockies, or Padres? And I, I always say, you know, hate is such a strong word. Mm -hmm. All of them. But I do. Yeah. yeah. It's all. <laughs> I can't stand them. But, but you shouldn't. That's the beauty of competition, right? I mean, they don't like us. It's great. I love the rivalries, but uh, off, off the field, we're all great friends, and, and I really believe in that. There was a time where in baseball, we wouldn't even share best practices. We wouldn't talk to, to other teams. Everything was guard, guarded and hidden. And, you know, thank goodness now those walls are down. We've realized yeah. we compete on the field. We don't like each other on the field. But off the field, we're colleagues. We should help each other because we want the industry to rise, and that's really changed. One of the things that's also changed in the industry that I pay a lot of attention to is the use of analytics. Yes. Um, you know, I have friends who attend the Sloan Analytics Conference, and I see what the Dodgers have done with their... And you got Mark Appleman here from Sabre. So if, you know, if we talk bad about analytics, he's going to storm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. so I, I think there's obviously uh, an important place for it. Um, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know if you paid attention to the battle with Charles Barkley. I did. And who was it? Some, I did. Another... Uh, uh, NBA I, player who, you know, Charles Barkley basically said, you know, 
there's too much reliance on analytics. You got to measure what's in here as well. Um, we're not just stat sheets. Where do you fall in the whole analytics? I, I think it's got to be a good balance. It's got to be a combination of both. And, and I think we were we relied too much on statistics probably 10 years ago, mm -hmm. believe it or not. We were very stat driven. And I think we relied uh, too much on the human eye and the scout over the last five, five years or so. And it's good that in, in my interview with Tony, I want to make sure that he would embrace analytics. And he, he has. He loves it. And he just thinks when it comes to the game, it comes down to instincts, managerial instincts, and, and let the numbers be a subset. You know, Don't let them drive you at that point. Have everything that you need going into your games. Know the matchups. I mean, I'll tell you, Chip Hale came from Oakland, where they are extremely right. analytical. And uh, so he, he got a really good taste and a good, uh, a good, it was good training ground for him. He's based his lineups the first three days on statistics and on analytics, and so he's going to use it. But then in game, he's more what's happening this game between the lines. What do I? Who do I have left on the bench? That's perfect in my opinion. Use both. Make sure you use both. But you have to rely on, you have to rely on the the relationships. You talk to people about character. You talk to people about what's up here in a player, what's in here with a player, what kind of a clubhouse person he is. You don't see that on a stat sheet. Yet it's equally as important to know what what a player will do with two strikes. And a run, you know, you know, one out and a runner on third. You have to know all of that and, and respond accordingly and plan accordingly. One of the things that I'm amazed by, especially spending more time around minor league baseball via the the Hillsboro Hops, is scouts and the people who know the game knowing this is a player that can play at the big league level, and this is a player that is probably a, a career minor leaguer or doesn't belong at that level. Do you have that eye yet? No. And no. Yeah, do I, do I don't. You know, and, it, and those are truly baseball people right. you know, that, that played the game, that know the game, that evaluate talent, and you rely on them. But you're right. They can tell you. And they're, and they're usually right. 95% of the time, they're right. They'll say, this player will never play in the big leagues, mm -hmm. but he's a great organizational guy. He's going to be a good double-A, triple-A player, and one day he may coach for us. Um, sometimes you miss it. I remember our scouts, when they, when they drafted Paul Goldschmidt, had said just that. This guy's going to be a journeyman. He'll be a double-A mm -hmm. first baseman. He's got power, but he'll never really make it, and he'll be a good organizational guy. He's a smart kid. Paul Goldschmidt, who's a you know MVP candidate, he should be for the next you know 10 years. Right. Um, so sometimes you miss, and those are great stories. And, and I think there was a time where, obviously, there was some, some uh, performance-enhancing drugs right. where it made it really difficult to tell because you would look at a kid when he was 18 and say, I don't think he's going to ever be a starting pitcher in the big leagues, and few years later he comes in he's throwing 95 to 100 and he is I mean now it's back to really being able to tell you know what you see on the field at any age you're going to be able to determine whether that that player's ever going to make it well in the scouting now it used to be long ago you just scouted in the United States now wow. I know you're on the diversity uh, committee for Major League Baseball the diversity in Major League Baseball though I will say I think you know, we all agree that there needs to be more African-Americans. No what is it, 8.3%? Yeah, no doubt. There was a time where we were 26% at right. our height. Um, yeah, and, and I'm also on the international committee. So, I, you know, it's very important that what the World Baseball, uh, the WC created for us, the World Baseball Classic, was the feel of the Olympics because mm -hmm. baseball was taken away from the Olympics. So I, I think it was nice to play for your country and you get pride, but also you now get to see talent everywhere. You know, we've often talked about a true World Series one day. We call it the World Series, but right. it's really just a North American Series. So is it going to be true one day where you have the team from North America that's going to play the Japanese you know, champion or the Asian champions? And, and that's what I would love to see one day. Mm -hmm. Peter O'Malley used to talk about that, the owner of the Dodgers. Uh, but you know, I think now with our talent, we've got, we've got scouts who are in 
Korea. We've got scouts who are in China. We've got scouts who are in Japan, obviously. Um, we've got scouts who are in Mexico all the time. Venezuela, a little dangerous right now, but they're there. We've got scouts in Dominican Republic, you know, all over because it, it is a worldwide sport. And now you're starting to see it in Europe, where we never thought before. You're seeing academies being built. There's leagues in Italy. And so we've got scouts over there in Europe. Uh, wherever you can find the talent, mm -hmm. you've got to go and, and you owe it to yourself to at least look. You brought up PEDs a few minutes ago. Yes, I shouldn't it, have. It, it, no, but it, it seems like, you know, if you're just looking, you know, from the, the uninformed eye like mine, that if you look at the stats, things have leveled out to they where have. they should be. It seems like uh, the people who are cheating are getting busted and getting penalized. Do you think we've largely figured out the I, problem? I do. I mean, we, you know, we've turned the page. We have the toughest... Uh, testing of any sport. Mm -hmm. uh, we are the first sport to test for HDH as well with blood tests. So I'm really proud of where we are. I think it has exited the game, and you're right, where it is still there, they're getting caught. Right. Uh, and I just don't think there's any room for it. You know, it, you look back though, and at the time when it was so prevalent, and people thought, boy, that wasn't fair. You know, these, these hitters were, they were huge, and, and it does, in fact, obviously it's proven that it does enhance your performance. But the pitchers were too. It was a pretty level playing field. You know, mm -hmm. again, you had pitchers who were throwing 100, 105, who who probably threw 90 a couple years before that. I'm just glad it's out of the game. It actually came at a time where um, you know interest in baseball was was waning because we had had the 94 strike, and you may remember, you know, not not that I'm accusing anybody, but Sosa and McGuire and that race and all the home runs and all the offense and people started getting an interest in baseball again. Uh, I'm glad that that interest continued to rise, but I'm also more, you know, more than thrilled that that is out of the sport because there is no place for it. So the CBA expires after next season. Correct. You know, there's been no work stoppages, knock on wood, since 94, 95, like right. you just mentioned. And Bud did such a great job. Yeah. So, but now, you know, Rob Manfred's yeah. a new sheriff in Tony town. Tony Clark. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I have my fears, you know, that, that these two are both going to dig in mm -hmm. and try and make their first uh, negotiation right. as tough as possible. So we'll see. Uh, I'm really proud of the fact that we haven't had any labor issues, and we've had labor mm -hmm. peace all these years, and I really do credit Bud. Um, Bud was, he was a tremendous commissioner who may not get enough uh, respect and attention, but his achievements speak for themselves. What he did for the game, and you know, we just honored him on opening day, and he was thrilled to be out there, I and mean, he rewarded our franchise. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Bud, but we wouldn't have the wild card. We wouldn't have you know, the interleague play. I mean, the way that the popularity of our sport, we're at an all-time high when it comes to attendance, ratings, revenues, that's all Bud. You know, and I think Rob will continue to carry that torch. Rob is such an impressive individual. He's brilliant. Uh, but I think he and Tony are, you know, it's gonna, they're going to go at it. And they, mm -hmm. I think both sides are ready for a, for a battle. So you said Rob's brilliant. I have not met Rob. What are the big differences for people who may be going, okay, that was the Bud Seeley era. What's the Rob Manford era going to look like? I think Rob's really going to focus on, on youth, which is what we need. I think Rob's going to look at, at expanding our fan base. You know, I, I once heard, and it was a great point, 50 years ago, if you asked anybody what the most popular sport was in America, mm -hmm. in no particular order, they would have said Major League Baseball, horse racing, and boxing. Right. Today, if you asked, you know, in no particular order, you'd say NFL, Major League Baseball, and then pick, pick your other, NHL, NBA, what it may be. Uh, it's on us to make sure 50 years from now we're still in that top three. And I know Rob is focused on that. It's, it's bringing in more diversity into the game. It's, it's getting to our youth because... Uh, that's our, you know, obviously the next generation. And baseball has always been the family sport where you can sit and, and talk to your family and teach them how to keep score and hand mm -hmm. it down from generation to generation. But today with, 
shorter attention spans. I got three kids. I see it. <laughs> you know, with so much competition, right. you have to remain relevant, and you have to get kids interested in the sport right away. I think everybody in this room played little league or played you know softball. Everybody plays, mm -hmm. but it's getting them to continue playing, or if they're not going to play, stay interested in the sport, intrigued by the sport, and be a fan for life. Yeah, I think you bring up uh, a great point with the whole kind of, as I call it, we live in this 140-character world where everyone wants instant gratification. We all have it's ADD. Crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. I but, do. like, pace of play is, is yes. something that, you know, has been discussed. And how do we speed up the games? Because the younger generation, they don't want to sit around for two and a half, three yes, hours they and, do, Brian. and watch a game. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, I do. Yeah, but no, I'm not I, young. I understand. Yeah, and, and, you know, when we focused on, on pace of game, I think it was a must. You know, people mm -hmm. ask me, are you a traditionalist? Are you for change? Yeah, I'm a traditionalist. I love the sport. I, I love the history of the sport. But we do need to focus on, on speeding up the game. We had some guys, you know, I love him. He's a great guy. Nomar Garcia Parr would step out of the batter's box. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, with his batting gloves. And it would take, you know, five minutes for him to get Human back in. delay. Yeah. And so we just don't need that. Now we have clocks. People thought, oh, how could you put clocks in a baseball? I think it's great. You know, it's right. it, for us to have 225 or 245 if it's a national game and you've got to warm up in that time and you can't put one both feet out of the batter's box why not mm -hmm. you know and there was a time where they had a three-point shot or a uh, uh th you know you had to game clock with with basketball and people thought how could you put a shot clock up in the nba and now it's part of the game it's a great part of the game so for us to to be focusing on speeding up the game it's good and it's not so much trying to to shorten the length of game that'll be a result mm -hmm. it's more so killing the downtime you know because right. when you're bringing in a pitcher in between innings uh to me when you're there live that's part of the entertainment you know that's when we have our, our rally backs and that's when we've got our sign making station at dbtv it's great but again attention spans aren't aren't quite like mine or the person that can't wait for the kiss cam you know the six-year-old or eight-year-old could care less about the kiss cam right. you know and and uh, wants to move 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 I'd like to start a movement to do away with the kiss cam. Oh, the kiss cam's great. <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah. Well, well, it's funny. You know, I always joke because, again, I work for the Blazers. If you do, like, the corny stuff on the screens, and then you can give away, like, a pencil, and right. people will dive into the next section. Anything for free. Our Pepsi T-shirt giveaway in the sixth <laughs> inning. I mean, I usually try and go, you know, out of my seat, down in the tunnel, and do yeah. you know something? Go wash my hands. Just get away from it. It is so loud, and I got kids crawling over me trying to get free T-shirts. Everybody's screaming for these free Pepsi T-shirts. Uh, so yeah, anything you can give away for free. But then when you take something away too, fans fans don't like that. You know, right. so if you were to take away, say the Kiss Cam, and I know you're kidding, but if you do. I'm going to hear from every fan. I mean, whatever we do anyways, I hear from every fan, and I like that. And we have a, you know, we have a couple of philosophies. It's one fan at a time, and uh, the other one is FOTSI, find a way to say yes. And, and all of our game day staff, we had created that, and they have a button that says FOTSI, and other companies have, have adopted that as well you know, from us, and I'm proud of that. But you have to have that, that mentality where anybody that complains to me, if they complain to anybody, you have to answer every email, every phone call, every, every text. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And I, and I want to have that interaction with our fans. At games, um, you know, I'll hear from somebody who will, who will email me, say it's really warm up here in Section 301. And I'll write back, thanks. You know, because they tried Derek H, D. Hall, and they, they found me. Mm -hmm. I'll say, thanks for letting me know. We're going to send somebody up right away. And they're, wow, okay, thanks. And then how easy is it for me then to get on the phone with facilities or email somebody and right. say, can you get up to 301? It seems to be warm up there. Fix the problem. And then five minutes later, you get, wow, it's better up here. Thank you. Didn't think you would help. Well, of course we will. And it's easy for us, too. And, and to talk to your fans. You know, I, I tell a story where 
I was walking up on the upper concourse one day during batting practice. The roof was open, and it was kind of like the haboob, uh, one of those days. And so the clouds are changing. It's starting to get really windy, and I'm, I'm closing my eyes walking, and the hot dog wrappers are flying around. And this guy comes walking up to me. He goes, Mr. Hall. I said, yes, sir. He said, don't you think you should shut the roof? I said, oh, come on. You know, I said, in Philadelphia right now, it's probably raining. They're okay with it. I said, you know, in Pittsburgh right now, it's probably a little windy, but they're okay with it. He said, yeah, but in Pittsburgh, if they had a roof, don't you think they'd be smart enough to shut it? <laughs> so good point. We close the roof. But listen to your fans. Interact with them. Well, and, you know, this thing is I bet people are still surprised when you respond. But I tell people all the time that work for sports teams, the competition for the disposable entertainment yeah. dollar has never been greater than it is right now. So if you do those little things like you do where you respond to the fan, they're going to remember that. They're going to spend their dollar with you again. If they don't hear anything back from the organization, they're probably going to move on somewhere else. Absolutely, yeah. And, and in our sport in particular, you know, it's, uh, it's in the summer, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's tough. You know, we're competing with the malls, we're competing with the movie theaters that have air conditioning, but more so, we're competing with San Diego, with Los Angeles, with the mountains, you know, people just that leave, people that can't afford it. So that's why we always challenge ourselves, too, from a, a single-game standpoint, to make sure we're as affordable as possible um, so that they do come back. First, they're treated well, we listen to them, we respond to them, right. but we make sure that they can afford to go to the ball game. And so we've focused on affordability for many years. Just this week, um, you know, the fan cost index came out, mm-hmm. and that really shows where you, where you rank for a family of four to attend a Major League Baseball game. And for nine straight years, we've been the lowest. And I'm very proud of that. That includes you know, four tickets, um, four hot dogs, four sodas, two beers, just for the adults, and uh, two adult caps. And we're the lowest. And we are dramatically lower you know, than, than the rest of Major League Baseball. I'm proud of that. We have value pricing where any day you know, you've got kids' priced items. You have hot dog, corn dog, popcorn, soda, milk for $1.50. We have the most affordable beer in all of Major League Baseball, $4, 14-ounce $4, beer. Mm-hmm. You go to the team shop, you can now buy T-shirts or caps for under $10. That never happened before, right. and, and that's a way that we have to get people there as well. Single game pricing is very important to us because our season ticket holders who have that disposable income, they're probably going to take off for a majority of the summer mm-hmm. because they're either retired or they're executives, and you know, they can go to their house in, in San Diego or go up to the mountains and go to Flagstaff or Sholo. So I, I've got to make sure we, we continue to try and fill that ballpark. And it's tough. It can be tough. And, and in this market, as you know, my colleagues from other teams know, they react very well to how you play. You know? And, and right. we, just, we know that going in. If you're playing well, they're going to show up. Sure. Uh, and when you have a season like we did last year, it's, it's tough. Yet we still drew $2 million, So we know we're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, we can't control what happens on the field. We try to. But once that season starts, you can't control injuries or the good luck, bad luck. You don't know how you're going to play. But everything else we control, we better do as good a job as anybody. We better give back to the community at, at the pace that we do. We better have a great fan experience. We better be affordable. We better make sure our lines are moving. Um, you know, when pe- someone goes up to eat, we better continue to be pioneering when it comes to innovation or IT and make sure that we offer something different at the ballpark than you get watching from the best seat at home in your air-conditioned house or, or out in the pool with your outdoor TV. So it's a, it's a challenge for us, but we, I, I think we do a nice job. Going back to our uh, instant gratification kind of uh, ADD conversation, anytime I have someone affiliated with Major League Baseball on Sports Business Radio, I always ask them about the length of the season. Yeah. It's 162 games. And I know all the leagues have looked at their length of season, and is there a way to dial it back a little bit, both because of you know, injuries and travel 
and baseball players, you know, they have a longer season than anyone. Do you ever see the day where maybe that gets dialed back from I, 162? I think so. I mean, it, it wasn't always 162. You know, we were, there were times we were in the 140s or 150s. To me, uh, w where we really have uh, a challenge or concern is taking our playoffs into November, you know, or late October, early November when the weather's an issue, you know, and you, you've got snow, you've got, you've got very cold weather, freezing rain. So that, that's a big issue, too. I, I think 162 is a long season. Uh, it works right now, and, and it's probably difficult to, to convince owners that they're going to sacrifice revenue unless you can make the argument that maybe if you expand playoffs, you're going to increase revenues there, and everybody gets a piece of that pie as well. But, but we're obviously heavily focused on, on revenues. And right now, you know, if you take away, say, five to ten games, it's going to be a hit. That mm -hmm. will be a hit to, to ownership's wallets. The other thing I've noticed about baseball, and I'd say just the last five years, is the number of young players who are having Tommy John surgery. Yeah. I mean, it used to be, you know, you're in your 30s or 40s. At the end of your career, you're having Tommy John surgery. Now the guys that are like Jose Fernandez that are in their young 20s, is it because people are playing ball year-round when they're coming up, and by the time they get to the big leagues, they've thrown God knows how many innings? Yeah, Brian, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, years ago, when, when no one would get hurt, you would take your major league pitcher, and he only played baseball in baseball season. Right. And for the most part, he also played basketball. He played football. Yep. Um, you know, now you specialize in your sports because you have to. I mean, they've, they've, got, they've got these kids brainwashed that if you're going to play baseball at a professional level, you've got to play year-round. You have to be on the club team, and you're going to throw 100-plus pitches every time you're pitching, and right. that may be twice or three times a week. So the, the stress and the amount of pressure put on these kids today is really what has done it, and they, they, they play year-round. And so, you know, I wish kids would, would take the approach of playing every sport. Right taking a little pressure off those arms. Those muscles aren't even fully developed yet. I mean, there are kids, and I think it's child abuse, who have, who have gone through, uh, because you can often come back and recover and be even stronger. Velocity can be even stronger. There are kids in high school whose parents are making them yes. have Tommy John surgery yeah. so they can come back better and stronger. Yeah. And I, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. That's what some people in baseball have told me, that it's become like the new, you know, kind of must-have surgery. Myonic surgery. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you think they're going to have it at some point, you don't want that to impact them before the draft. Uh, then you, mm. you know, maybe map it out where when they're a junior in high school, go ahead and have it. By the time they're, it comes around for their senior year, they're ready. And, and I just, I can't have it. I couldn't. I, I could never dream of doing that to one of my kids. And I, I just wish kids would take a little, little bit, take a step back and take a little of the stress off their arms. But that's why. But I think it's also kind of the parent level. So I have a 10-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. and you know, I love that she does different things. I don't have her specializing in any one thing. And I think it's good, especially when you're younger, for kids to experience it. Whether it's, you know, she plays violin and she plays sports. And, yes. Uh, you know, she likes volunteering at the, at the animal shelter. Like, expose them to a lot of different things. But I have so many friends who they're playing club soccer year-round. They're playing baseball year-round. They've got to play AAU basketball year-round. And... I think it starts it, with us, with it the parents parent. and the coaches. It's not the kids right. going, okay, I want to do this year-round. It's us saying, no, if you want to be successful in this, you've got to do this year-round. How do we change that? It is. Yeah, it, that's, that's exactly right. It's the parents, the parents that are competitive and, and often crazy. Um, 
You know, I've seen it because I have three kids, and my, my mm -hmm. oldest one, who actually plays Division One tennis right now, he made that decision for us. You know, I mean, I loved that he was playing basketball and baseball, and he was a good left-handed pitcher and first baseman, and he just, he loved it, but at some point, he fell in love with tennis without okay. us even knowing. And, you <laughs> know, he's he's watching the tennis channel every day in his, in his room, and he's begging us to go to Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy, and, and we kept saying, no, you're going to be well-rounded, you know, mm -hmm. and, and finally we gave in because he was the one begging, begging, begging as a parent, and, uh, you know, we ended up letting him go to... IMG, Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy, his last two years in high school, now he's in college. Uh, but the other kids, same deal. You know, they're, I love it that my, my middle child, you know, he plays baseball, he plays basketball, cross country, all for his high school. My daughter plays soccer, she played, mm -hmm. you know, softball, she danced, she does it all. I think it is the parents. And then when you go to these events and you watch and the parents are so competitive. Oh and they're gosh. on the phones with coaches at night upset that you pulled the daughter, you know, or that she's yeah. not playing forward. And I mean, it's crazy. And I and whenever I find myself doing that, you know, my wife's like, "You're you're doing what you what you <laughs> Yeah, he did. I mean, yeah. Dial it down, oh, dial I, it down. I remember, yeah, soccer coaches telling me, "Oh, your daughter's too short." I'm, and I'm like, "Well, you're not exactly tall. <laughs> they do have the same problem." And we can't do that. You know, you take a step back. And, what am I doing? You know, yeah, we're all that way. It's nuts. And you, you watch tennis parents. Woo! I mean, I used to. I felt bad that I wasn't one of those parents almost because I'd say, "Logan, do you do you feel like I'm not involved enough?" I mean, parents are yanking their kids off the court and going over the officials and, you know, I mean, asking for officials to come back to the court that the other kid's cheating and missed a call. And I would just sit there and, you know, my folded chair that I brought, you know, these people are crazy. Yeah. They're nuts. Yeah, it's really amazing. Let's yeah. switch topics. Uh, 2011, you were diagnosed with prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. You started your own foundation in 2014. I've, I've done my research into it. Looks like you're doing great. And, huh. you know, I think it's also really terrific that you use your platform to help people who receive that diagnosis because they probably don't know what to do when they get the same call that you did. It was tough, yeah, and we were making a playoff run, and uh, I went, it was, it was found by accident, actually. I went to my cardiologist as I was doing because of, you know, cholesterol issues, everything else, and he called me up one day, and he was at Mayo, and he called me up and said, hey, everything looks good, you know, your levels are down, you're looking great. Um, I said, oh, that's good, so I'll see you in six months. No, wait, 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 you know, we, for some reason, he said, I've never done it, but I drew a PSA, which is a blood test, took one this morning on the way here. Uh, he said, and, and I think there's something there, I want you to go see a urologist. You know, and at the time, I, you know, it, it was a shocker, 42 years old at the time, and I went, and, and with the biopsy, I did have cancer, and I thought, at that time, as soon as I heard, First, I was shocked, and I was actually sitting at breakfast in San Diego with J.J. Putz, who was our closer at the time, and wow. he was blown away, and, and you know, I, I shared it with him as soon as I hung up the phone. Next call was to my wife and then to our owner, but um, you know, I remember calling my wife a little bit later after the, the shock, and I said, I think I'm going to send an email to, to all of our employees, you know, and this, is a, this was a Saturday, actually, when I got the call, which is odd from a doctor. And she said, well, that's who you are. Go ahead and do it. But realize, you know, you haven't told the kids yet. You're coming home tomorrow after the road trip, and we'll go to dinner, and you can tell them then. And at the time, my dad was uh, battling and losing his battle, as most do, with, with um, pancreatic cancer. Mm. So my kids had seen my father, who was a you know, strong catcher himself, uh, who, you know, had all of a sudden become coat hangers, he looked like. And so they were going to equate any cancer with that, with what he was going through. But I just thought it was my responsibility to go public. Mm -hmm. And immediately, you know, I went back and, and talked to the family on Sunday. Monday morning, we held a press conference, and I let everybody know and let them know that I would walk them through every stage of it, and, and I did, and decided to put off the surgery until, um, until after the playoff run, which was fun, and, and then, you know, continued to, to try and use that platform, as you say, Brian, and, and uh, share it with the world to try and drive awareness and educate men. And, you know, it's our breast cancer. Mm -hmm. 250,000 men each year are diagnosed with prostate cancer. 30,000 men die each year from it. One in mm -hmm. six 
men are going to have prostate cancer. It's, it is, it's equal to, to, to breast cancer now, and it's, uh, it's so prevalent. So I, I feel like everything happens for a reason, and uh, we knew we wanted to start a foundation. We did, pro-state, like prostateofmine.org, mm -hmm. and we're thrilled, and it's just getting off the ground, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It's peer-to-peer -peer communication. It's, it's me telling my story, my wife telling her story, questions answered, uh, because when someone goes into a doctor and they hear those, those words, mm -hmm. they don't hear anything else. And when I got with a few doctors and asked, where should I take this foundation, they thought, you need to educate people. They need to feel comfortable coming to your site or coming to you and, and get those questions answered that they're not going to ask, they're not going to think about asking once they hear it because they leave there devastated and they heard nothing else. Right. Yeah. And I know Josh and the rest of the Diamondbacks organization was so supportive to you during Incredible. That Incredible. Yeah, incredible. I, I, when I came back uh, after the press conference and, and I was told I had an interview up on the suite level and... Uh, I thought I'd never have an interview up in the, in the <laughs> Audi suite lounge. Went up there and all the employees are there, standing ovation, and they had wristbands that they put on D-Hall, D-Bax, mm -hmm. and Sedona Red. And, uh, it was incredible, yeah, but that's, we're a family. You know, as I said before about the players, same with us. I'm with my employees more than I am my own family, so it, it better be a family atmosphere, and it is. And we can, we can be hard on each other, and we can have fun together, and we can hug on each other, and that's, that's, that's part of the culture. It is truly a family. Yeah, and any time I talk to anyone who uh, I mention your name, the first thing they say is culture mm -hmm. and the culture that you've created. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think that's a, a tribute to you that people feel like when they come to work every day, they're not dreading it and they're going, you know what, I'm coming to work with my family. And they enjoy interacting with the people in the organization because I interact with a lot of organizations and it's not always that same culture. It's genuine. It's real. I mean, we put on this logo. And by the way, you guys all look great. Um, but we, we may look a little more casual. This happened when I first came over here from the Dodgers, who I don't like. But when I first came over here, uh, our culture there was to wear a suit every day. And I mm -hmm. did the same here. And I had my suit, and I sit down in the seats with the fans. And this lady walked up to me, and she said, you know, Mr. Hall, can I tell you something? I said, sure. She said, you look like an idiot. I said, excuse me? Wow. She said, yeah, she said, it's 110 degrees outside. This is baseball. You ask us to buy this stuff, and you don't even wear it? And I said, great point. You know, we changed, mm. changed it there, and we, we all wear the logo every day. And, uh, but, you know, the culture is, 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 is this brand. I mean, everybody loves working there each and every day, unless they decide to leave to go work for Hankel or, you know, and, and they start a new culture, right, Trevor? But, uh, no, very proud of them. But, um, you know, it is, it, it, it's great. And, and to get best place to work, eight straight years that's them you know they're the ones that 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 rank that and vote on what we have here and we continuously challenge ourselves to do more for the employees i believe uh, and people ask me you know i say the customer or the fan does not come first and you get raised eyebrows the employee comes first because of the employee feels appreciated recognized developed promoted he and she are then in turn going to treat your fan or your customer the way that we expect them to be treated and it, and it works you know and what's tough is we all understand. We got 350 full-time employees. They all understand the culture. They understand how important it is when it comes to customer service or fan experience. Where we have the disconnect is they're not the ones that are tearing the ticket or pouring the soda. So we've got game day staff. And to, to build that over the last few years to make sure that we have that same culture with our game day staff, which we've been able to do, they feel the family. They know the importance now uh, of treating our fan as well as anybody. And it's, it, it's worked. And it, they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Culture goes with fan experience, in my opinion, because if that culture is right and if it's clicking, your fan experience is going to be great because all of your employees are going to treat your fans like family and treat them the best. You mentioned earlier the experience working for a minor league team and touching all different parts of the organization. I also think the fact that you've worked in PR and broadcasting, mm -hmm. two areas that I've actually worked in, 
that probably makes you more personable and outgoing, not only for interviews and as a representative of the organization, but also just interacting with fans and doing community things. I think so. I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's got to be part of your personality, right. obviously, but I think it helps to have been on both sides of the mm -hmm. fence, like you have and like I have. It's a better understanding of what both needs are. And, and honesty, I think, is the most important. You know, when, when you're honest with, with media, they appreciate that. And uh, you have to be honest with the fans as well. I mean, that's very important. But I, I, I think that is important. My father always told me, you know, never forget who you are, where you came from, and make sure you know every one of your employees' names. And that's something that I, I took to heart. You know, you talked about Gonzo. He was one of those individuals. Mm -hmm. Gonzo knew everybody's name. Right. And he treated everybody so well. Um, and, and look how far that, that, that took him. Mm -hmm. And it's not... You know, I get chills thinking about it, but I, I love our staff. I mean, absolutely love our staff. I love our game day staff. I mean, it's, it's hugs and high fives anytime I see them. They've got smiles on their face. They're our biggest fans. They're out there in 100-degree weather, and they're having to pass out bobbleheads, you know, and then they're inside, and they're having to say, welcome, folks, if we're down 4 to nothing because they're looking at the scoreboard, mm -hmm. but they keep a smile on their face. It's tough, and a lot of them are retirees, and they get on a bus in Sun City and come here, you know, in the heat, and... I just, I'm so grateful to have that staff. And it, it starts again with our, our front office and full-time employees because they get it and, and they have so much fun together. We do things, you know, we have, we have mandatory um, quarterly outings that are a blast, whether it's softball in the field or going bowling or, or doing something for the community. But, uh, and we have first Fridays, we used to call it. Now it's, you know, on the couch with D Hall, which is our employee meeting, which is a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's not only the free meal, but we have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. <laughs> uh, it, you, you have to keep it light because we're so serious. But I don't believe in silos. I don't believe in having doors shut. You know, it's everybody helps everybody. There's no, uh, it, it, it's not like anybody's protective. We're all helping each other out. We're all pulling from the same side of the rope. It's really special. But then, you know, that's what keeps me up at night, making sure that we maintain, sustain that, mm -hmm. and, and get even better. Well, yeah, it's great because there's a lot of executives in your position who, you know, travel with a bunch of entourage and PR people, and, and they don't seem approachable. So yeah. as soon as you see them, it's like, oh, they would, they would never have a conversation with I me. I want to be that guy someday, though. <laughs> Just, Josh Denver travels with me. And, yeah. But, uh, no, I, I, I think we're all, you know, we're all very approachable and uh, – we all realize how lucky we are to have these jobs. Right. I mean, it, it's that's how we look at it. We are so fortunate to have these jobs, and we wouldn't have these jobs if it wasn't for the fans. So, I mean, the fans come first, but before that, as I mentioned, employees. Uh, treat your employees well. They're going to treat the fans well. So you're on Twitter. Yeah. We talked about social media. That's another part of interacting with the fans. I, I've followed your chats that you do, and mm -hmm. I think you're you know, very forthcoming and, and candid during those chats, but it's another place where people can get in touch with you. It is. And, and again, the interaction is, is very important. I think a lot of times people don't really think it's me that's doing the chat. Right. We can tell you it is. Yeah. Um, I've you know, seen you well, at your desk, the, the yes. picture that is But that could be out. staged, but that it's could not. That be. That's yeah, true. So I, I do the chats <laughs> once a month, you know, and I, I, I write in our free D-Backs Insider, I write a letter to uh, our fans, you know, each homestand. And again, I'll take every phone call, every email, every text. I, I'm Granted, I'm going to miss some. Uh, at first, when my Twitter account was smaller, I tried to respond to every, every tweet. Now I don't get to Twitter enough, you know, and I really don't get to Facebook at all. I'll look back and see messages, direct messages, go, oof, I missed that Happy request a month from ago. two years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I try to, but it, it's just crazy, you know. And it, I like to do a lot of contests on Twitter. It's fun. I think our fans enjoy that. We're all say, hey, we won five in a row. 
you know, let's do five dollar tickets, and our, our ticket staff loves that. You know, and he just announced that. Oh, you know, the phones are ringing, and uh, but we'll we, we give away a lot of uh, you know we'll give away our front row seats and, and a meet and greet and batting practice, just doing Twitter contests mm -hmm. and and increasing the the followers. It's been fun, and and our team does a really nice job. In fact, John's going to be here later. John Pruitt, who handles all of our social media, he's been outstanding. But it is a way to communicate, the way probably to communicate now, and it's such a great way to advertise. Um, I think you know the Super Bowl. You know, Jay did. They did such a great job with social media as well. Right here, here's yeah. Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, you guys were awesome. Yep, it was great. So, one more question before we open it up. So, start thinking of your questions for for Derek. If you could accomplish one more thing, personal or professional, take World Series. I know that. You oh, know, see, I know you want to win a World Series. That's what it is. Other than that, personal or professional, before your career rides off into the sunset, what would it be? Well, you know, I would I would like to. It sounds, it, it's not as simple as it sounds, but I would like to get our average attendance up, you know, to a point where it's it's over 30,000 a game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to take everybody in our staff in order to do so. And it's tough in a lot of markets our size, uh, especially when you have a ballpark that, that can seat, you know, 50,000. But that would be my, my number one goal, where we're consistently drawing uh, a very large number. And it's a shame that we don't because the ballpark looks as good today as it ever has. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our dining experience now, we don't even call it concessions. You know, our dining experience is as good as it ever has been. Uh, in addition to that, I would like to see uh, presidents and general managers all around the league that started here at the D-backs. And we're starting to see more and more of that. Yeah. We've got a lot of managers. We've got a lot of you know, general managers, mm -hmm. assistant GMs. That's a point of pride for me. As much as I'd like to retain everybody and keep them, I also have, uh, you know, it, it's fun to watch them move on. And it's amazing how many we hear back from that say, I didn't realize how good we had it there, you know, and right. I really miss it. And there's a lot of people that leave and come back. But I would like to see my colleagues, having been Diamondbacks before and learned and cut their teeth there, you know, as I'm getting longer in the tooth. Yeah. That's great. All right, let's take some questions from the students. This is why we take our show on the road. So we get out of the studio, we can be in front of the students and alums. Who has a question? And does Christian have the mic? You've got the mic. Christian has the mic. So if you have a question, wait, raise your hand and he will come find you. Hey. Um, question about the playoffs so I know last year was the first year they added the wild card team and obviously both teams who won the wild card game made it to the World Series which is awesome how do you feel about the one game wild card playoff personally I don't think 162 game season should come down on one game playoff I feel I the same way that. yeah I feel the exact same way I think that's tough you know and you you may have to use your ace you know the game before to win if you're if you're tied in the division or for that final wild card spot so I think it's a shame that it comes down to that one game and you may not have your best guy on the mound uh, I'd like to see a you know a three game series or a five game series to even it out you know and allow you to play in, in two different places as well so I, I'm with you I, I, I really don't like to see it to come down to one game and especially if I'm in that one game and <laughs> you lose that one game yeah it's real tough I, I'd like to see it a little more expanded and again maybe that's a reason why we have to look at shortening the season so that we can have expanded expanded playoffs and then you know you're, you're not really affecting the revenue and when I talked about revenue of the owners before rarely do we hear from any owners anything uh, when it comes to revenue they really don't at the league meetings you're looking at league revenues overall so I'm not sure how, how other owners feel I can tell you in our case our owners have never put a dime in their pocket mm -hmm. never you know and any money that we make revenues as they go up and they will because of our new TV deal but as revenues go up so will our payroll because it's going to go right back into our, our, our product on the field or the ballpark itself other questions? Great question. Yeah, thank you for your question. Here's one up here. 
Um, so coming out of um, college when you're a student, what's the biggest advice that you got that you can give us today as mm -hmm. students coming out of college? Yeah, great. Well, you, you hear it all the time about networking. It is so important, you know, but to, to reach out to as many people as you possibly can, and it, it's going to hit, you know, and, and get an internship. I, I know you know that or you hear it, but it's so true. I can't tell you at our place, and I probably should get the number, but it's, it changes every year, how many people started out as interns mm -hmm. and they're now full-time or they're vice presidents or you know, the presidents. Um, you got to get that internship, and, and you'll hear be seen, not heard. Now, yeah, I agree with that, but make sure you, you get to know as many people in that organization as you possibly can. Prove your worth and your value and help out as many departments as you can. You'd be amazed how many times that tur turns into full-time employment. And, and honestly, I, I say it in, in a speech that I get, but shoot for the moon. You know, people tell you, oh, have realistic goals. Mine w wasn't realistic. You know, and I had people all the time when I'd say, one day I'm going to be president of a baseball club. They said, no, you're not. You don't know anybody. You're not going to do it. And I kept saying, yeah, my family would say, it's not going to happen. You're not going to do it. Yeah, I am. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, so don't let anybody tell you no. Meet as many people as you can and take advantage of internship opportunities. Yeah, I would say I, uh, that's how I got a job with the Blazers. I started as an intern and turned that into a full-time yeah. job. The other thing I would say is authentically network. You know, there's a lot of people that connect in on LinkedIn, and you don't know them, you've never seen them, you've never heard from them, right. and now you're connected on LinkedIn, and you're asking me for something, or you're sending me a note, and I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Sure. So come to the table with something, whether it's, can I volunteer, can I shadow you, just something other than, you know, I've never met you before, we're LinkedIn, can I have this? So yeah. being authentic when you, because when you, it's, it's actually easier now than when we were coming up to connect with people it because is. of all of the digital assets that exist out we there. We didn't have it. And, and don't be discouraged when things don't go your way. I mean, because they're not. They're not all going to go your way. And it's how you overcome adversity. You know, I look at my case and, and what I knew I wanted to do, and I didn't know how to get it. And I graduated high school. I mentioned growing up in L.A., but then I moved all over the country. My father was in newspaper business. And I graduated in Las Vegas, and they were there. Um, and so I had a few job offers in Vegas after I left ASU. And so my wife and I went up to Vegas, and I'm working three jobs uh, in Las Vegas and, and just trying to figure out how to get into sports. And uh, my dad calls me one day and says, hurry up, turn on ESPN. I turned on ESPN. And it's a program on Ohio University Sports Administration. It was a master's program. It's first of its kind in the nation. It was started by Walter O'Malley, Peter O'Malley's father, who used to own the Brooklyn Dodgers and L.A. Dodgers. And he went to his buddy at Unical 76 and said, can you help me fund a program because I'm tired of just taking former major leaguers and putting them in the front office when they're not trained to run this company. And, you know, they're driving it into the ground. And so they created Ohio University with an internship to work for the Dodgers. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I, and I became a finalist. There were you know, 5,000 applicants for 25 spots. And I'm a finalist. And I go to Athens, wow. Ohio. And I interview. And, and I left that interview. And I said, man, I killed it. I crushed it. And went back and told my wife, back up, because we're going to Athens in, you know, in a few weeks. <laughs> and we literally packed up our apartment. And I got, a, I got a letter in the mail that said I was declined. I had been turned down. And so I'm devastated, don't know what to do, we don't have any money. So I, I put all my change on the bed. And I, I added all, you know, count it up. And, pay for a plane ticket to go to the winter baseball meetings in Florida. And I go to Miami, Florida at Fountain Blue, and I'm standing in a room of like 300 other people trying to get jobs like me, and we're wearing bad suits. And, you know, they would come in and post a job posting up. We're all crawling over each other trying to get it. And it's, you know, assistant groundskeeper for the Mud Hens for, you know, $3,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And I just said, I'm not doing this either. So now I'm really dejected. And I walk out of that room, and I see in the lobby of the hotel a sign of what's going on that day. And it says, Ohio University Sports Administration Alumni Reception. 
Sweet 600. And I said, that's a party I'm going to crash. <laughs> and I went, walked into that room, and I went up to the director, and I said, Dr. Higgins, do you remember me? Not really. I said, well, I was a finalist. I interviewed. You turned me down. You made a mistake. Let me tell you why. And, you know, chewed a zero off for about an hour. And he said, come back. No guarantees. And I went back, and I got in. And of the 25 of us that were in that program, 19 wanted to be in baseball, and 19 wanted that one internship with the Dodgers. And I said, these guys are my friends and they're my colleagues, but there's no chance they're getting that internship. And, and I got that internship, and it turned into full-time work down in Vero Beach. And then eventually Peter brought me out to L.A. to work for him and, and uh, the rest of history. But had I just been rejected and been so upset and dejected over the rejection uh, and didn't have the, you know, the, the persistence and, and the ability to overcome that adversity, nothing would have happened. So you know, don't be discouraged by anything. Well, like you said, so many people want to work in sports. Yeah. So you got a lot. You got to knock on a lot of doors because you're not always going to hear yes the first time. Right. So you know, you just told a story of your persistence and, 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 and belief you, in yourself. Yeah, and Brian, you got to work your tail off, as you know, right. in sports. Because so many people want to work in sports, your entry level positions, you're not going to get paid much. You know, and even if you're in sales, you know, you really have to perform to start to get paid a little more. Um, when I got my first job at, with the Dodgers. It was $16,000 a year. That's tough to live on, you know, but I was so happy to have it. And I knew if I worked hard, one day it would turn into something else. I mean, you know, Josh is just totally rich now. You know, That's he's right. got more money than me, but he, at one point he started out and he didn't have much, but he worked hard. Other questions? Don't be shy. Here we go. We have one over here. So despite not having the baseball performance, the D-backs were recently named the number one sports organization. Um, some of us were fortunate enough to hear from Colin Maxey on the matter, mm -hmm. but how do you um, how do you maintain a successful baseball organization business-wise when the performance isn't there? Yeah, it's tough too. And again, I think it goes back to uh, to us making sure that we control what we can control. You know, and, and where fans know when they come there, they're going to have the best treatment, they're going to have that affordability, they're going to have safety, cleanliness, all the above. Uh, it becomes an event going to a D-backs game. And look, I mean, if you're going to a game, chances are you may not see a winner e anyways, even if you're going to see the Dodgers play or if you're going to see the Reds, pick your team because, you know, it's, it's a long season, and if you're 500, you're only winning 81 games, and those aren't all at home. Um, so, you know, fans, the expectation has to be they're not going to win every game, but what we challenge ourselves with every day is how can someone leave the ballpark after a loss? And we, we say, you know, find a way to win even when we lose as well. And so when we lose a game, late innings, um, you know, or we don't come back and can't, can't – can't win in the ninth like the other night. How does someone leave that ballpark and say, that was so great, I can't wait to go back tomorrow? That's our challenge. That's on us as a, as a front office, and I, I think we do a nice job of that. Whatever age you are, you're going you're gonna to have fun at the ballpark. Uh, whatever you're looking for, we're going to have a destination there for you, whether it's our new craft beer draft house, whether you want to go to the Coors Light Cold Zone, whether you want the all-you-can-eat seats, whether you want to take your kids who lost their attention span up to the sandlot, <laughs> and they're going to hit <laughs> wiffle balls with a guy that's wearing uniform. There's so much to do there, and it's so much fun that you know, it takes a little bit away from the win and loss. However, we are in the business of winning. I think we're in the business of winning games, but we're also in the business of creating memories and, and putting smiles on people's faces. Regardless of how we do on the field, I think it's our social responsibility to give back as much as we can to the community. And that's another reason why you know, our organization is thought well of just this year. We're, we're a very young organization. Since our inception, this year we surpassed the $41 million mark in community giving. So we're always going to have our mark in the community. We're going to do all we can for the community, not doing it to be patted on the back, not going to hospitals or schools because there's a camera with us, but because it's the right thing to do. Um, so I think if, the, if the, the Valley and the state in this case feels good about our organization and about our players, they're going to continue to come back. But it really starts in the front office and the things that we control. 
We have a question coming in from Twitter using the hashtag cool. ASU. And the question is, how does the Cubs' recent handling of Chris Bryant and demoting him when he had such an excellent spring affect potentially the upcoming CBA, which we talked about earlier, is after the 2016 season? Well, it, it could affect, it, it could go either way during the CBA, because I think the union could, could see it as, whoops, you know, more of this is going to happen if we don't address the language. I understand why the Cubs did it, you know, and, and the problem, though, that the Cubs have is, the players in that clubhouse, right? You know, and if you're a pitcher, you're thinking, "Wait a minute, I could have this kid behind me." And they get you know? shut out on opening right, night, right? Right. <laughs> so that's that, that's, and their bathrooms weren't working. But oh. that's, you know, that's that's the difficulty, though, is is how do you explain that to the other players? But it's it's a huge issue. I mean, it's that could be an 18 million dollar decision, you know, to right. lose that that extra year of control. Uh, so I get why they did it. Um, and you know, they look. There's ways of explaining it too. If they truly don't believe he's ready. Then you know, and he needs more development. That's their decision, and and the CBA forces them to do that. What you know, what whatever. In our case, we had a very similar situation with uh, with Archie Bradley. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to have a true competition, like we said, it was going to be going mm -hmm. into spring. And if someone was going to earn a spot on that roster, you, you have to you know, you've got credibility on the line as well. Now, I don't I don't truly know what all the Cubs' decisions or reasons behind it were. Right. That's more of a question for them. But I think it could go either way during the collective bargaining negotiations because you know it's an issue in a lot of places. It's a big dollar issue. Yeah. Yep. We have time for a few more questions. We've got one back there. It looks oh, and one right here. Sorry. With uh, daily fantasy websites such as DraftKings quickly rising in popularity, what are your thoughts on prohibiting players from daily fantasy games? <laughs> um, you know, fantasy is here. It's a part of, of our world now, and I think it's a I think it's a good thing. You know, I think the popularity of the NFL has obviously. Uh, come from and benefited from fantasy football and, and from from gambling you know gambling has never been a part of of baseball or it, it's not supposed to be a part of baseball I don't necessarily see fantasy sports as gambling and we just did a big deal MLB did you know with DraftKings and so um, I think it's great I think it's a way for for fans to get involved I think it's a way for interaction for them to watch the games watch the statistics and there, there's more than just that it's the interaction with MLB advanced media you know whether you're, you're going to join one of those games you know beat the streak I don't know if any of you ever play that 56 like my kids love it you know and and I, I'd play that as an executive I'm fired up that I got five right now I got five <laughs> in a row you know and I compete against Gonzo and JJ but that, that keeps you involved in the game you know it keeps you invested in the game and in players and, and getting to know all players the beauty of fantasy football is that if you don't have a team, say, you know, you're Los Angeles, you may have one soon, but you don't have a team, but you know, you know players on, on the Buffalo Bills, Jacksonville Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars, because you've got them on your fantasy team. Same with baseball. You know, so now if you've got a team here, for example, and you're a Diamondbacks fan, but you can't wait to see some of the players come in that you have on your fantasy team, that's good. It's good for the game. Better question back here. Yeah, um, you mentioned that one of your goals is to uh, increase attendance going forward. Mm -hmm. um, with other local teams such as the Coyotes and the Suns performing college pass nights and things of that nature to lower ticket prices to get more people in the seats, um, what is your target demographic to make that happen, saying how majority of your season is during the summer when yeah. students aren't around? And, and for us to hit students when they are around, like this Friday, you know, tonight we have college night. So you do have your discount, you come tonight, now we have campus downtown. 
several demographics. You know, we go for different big group nights. Groups are such a big part of what we do now business-wise. Uh, we had a, a big focus on, on our Hispanic marketing over the last few years. That's a market here that obviously makes a lot of sense and continues to grow. Uh, and it was really a way for us to say, you are welcome here, and we're going to have our messaging in both English and Spanish. Um, and for us to have fiestas now with, with music and with you know, festivals outdoors before to, to try and get the Hispanic fans in, they're great fans, you know. Uh, but we're hitting really all demographics and all targets through group sales. Um, and and the, the beauty of our game presentation and our fan experience is once somebody's there, they're going to want to come back. So whereas we used to compete with ourselves and say, okay, we, we only sell season tickets for the entire season. And then we started doing half seasons. And then we started doing 20 games, you know, and, and you thought, are we cannibalizing ourselves? Because if you can buy a half season, why would you buy a full season? Well, you get in the habit of going, you know, and so now we do four packs. And there was a time where I challenged everybody, said, why are we doing four packs? You know, don't we want them to buy six or ten or more? But no, well, you get to pick your games and you're going to come in for four. You start to enjoy it a little more. Now maybe next year you do ten, maybe next year you do a half. We see it all the time. I've been a half season season ticket holder, just got a promotion. Now I'm going to full season. We love it, you know, and they feel like part of the family. So we, we challenge ourselves to reach out to all demographics to get people to sample the ballpark and go there. Um, and... and you know, it's working. Whether you can get someone there the first time because of great promotion. We don't just do giveaways anymore. Now we'll do special events as well, like Star Wars Night. And mm -hmm. yesterday I'm talking to a guy from, from you know, tech support from somewhere. Right? He's on the phone with me. And he's like, I'm actually from Phoenix. And I go, really? You know, and it, the guy's IT. You know, and you can tell he's, he's really smart. And he's trying to walk me through this. And he says, hey, I'm really looking forward to Star Wars Night. <laughs> and I go, really? And he goes, yeah, this will be my second year. I go, that's great. And he goes, I'm Darth Vader. <laughs> but, but that's a separate ticket that, you know, not your season ticket. Oh, they don't get it. Not everybody that's going, you have to buy that package and you're going to get whatever the T-shirt or whatever it may be. Or if you're going with, you know, a religious group and you get a post-game concert, all of that's great. But those are the demographics we have to target where people get in the habit. And as this economy starts to recover here, we're already starting to see a little lift. We were doing great. And the economy, you know, took a downturn a few years back. And, you know, look at our market. It really hit tourism and home building. And that's where we really, that, that's what we rely on. That's starting to come back. As that does, we're going to be fine. But, you know, when you mention uh, competition with the other sports here, I, I don't look at it that way. And I don't think they do either. I mean, we believe that all boats rise, you know. And, and so I think when we're doing well, when the Cardinals are doing well, when the Coyotes are doing, it's great. You know, and the Suns and the D-backs have so many of the same season ticket holders. And they love it. You know, and they see a lot of the same ushers, and, and we do a lot with the Suns. You know, we do a lot with the Coyotes. It, it's wonderful that we can all work together, and why wouldn't we? You know, and, and one day we're going to have to figure out a way where we can all work together on season ticket packages together. You know, if you're a season ticket holder with the Coyotes and the D-backs, you're going to pay a different price. You're going to get this exclusivity from, you know, that others wouldn't. We have to work together in order to, to, uh, to succeed. Any other questions? We have time for one or two more questions. Okay. Yeah. One more. Let's do one more. Aaron Davis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's good they have questions. <laughs> this is uh, somewhat of like a fan question. Good. Uh, you recently signed y Yasmani Tomas yep. for a lot of money, yeah. $68 million, I believe. Oh, here yeah. comes a tough one. Uh, he, he didn't make the team out of spring training, and uh, he's a third baseman, but Lamb looks like he's going to be the third baseman. What's uh, the plans with Tomas? Yeah, great question. And this kid is um, – I'll tell you, he showed us at the end of spring he belongs here. You know, he was, he was starting to hit home runs and extra base hits and actually good speed for his body build. And, and uh, he, you know, he's somebody who took a year off, so he needs to get back in the swing of things, literally. And, um, 
you know, for us, we, we knew when we signed him there was a pretty good chance he was not going to start at the major league level just because of that year that he had off. And it's where he's going to play that's the question now. He looked pretty good at third. You know, Lamb's a very good defensive third baseman, and Lamb won that job. Uh, and Lamb started off, he, he's been on fire so far this season. So that was obviously a good decision. It's now he's going to go down. He gets to play every day. Uh, he's going to play outfield. He's going to play third. He's going to play both. Um, but, you know, Yasiel Puig tore up spring training and he went down to the minors, you know, for about a month. I mean, it's, it's a tough transition for these guys to come over from Cuba. They don't know the language. They don't know the food. Um, they're trying to get acclimated. And, and you know, I think for, his, for him to go down to AAA right now, and he took it great. He took it really well. Um, it's going to benefit him, and it'll probably benefit us. The difficulty, again, is what do you do when he starts tearing it up like he's going to probably at AAA? Because we've got a surplus of outfielders right now. You know, we, we do have Trumbo, we do have Pollock, we do have Peralta, we do have Inciarte. So if he comes up, he's got to play. So that's, you know, our big challenge now is figuring out, he can't just come up and sit or play every third day. He's got to play every day, you know, and he's got the power. This kid has the potential to hit, you know, 40 home runs, you know, in this league. Um, we also spent quite a bit of money on Yoan Lopez, a uh, 21-year-old pitcher from Cuba, and we knew he wasn't going to be ready. But, you know, t together, between the two of them, we spent more in free agents than we, we ever really have. You know, uh, Tomas is our largest contract ever, so we've got a lot invested in him. We, we obviously have a future that's going to include him, but I'd say the same for Lopez, too. This kid is going to be a one or a two on our staff one day. Do we have a question over here, or you guys are good? Oh, okay, so... That concludes the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. I will tell you that you can go to sportsbusinessradio.com and listen to this uh, via podcast if you want to go back and listen to how this all sounded. Uh, I will tell you that if you go to iTunes, we are in the podcast section. We're also on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. Obviously, you've seen we're at SB Radio on Twitter. Thank you so much to Arizona State and to the Sports Business Association and to all the students. Go Devils. Thank you. And thank you most of all to Derek Hall for being here today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, if I could just ditto that, Brian, thank you so much for coming in. And Derek, this was fantastic. Thank Such you. a special way to start our symposium, and we really, truly appreciate it. Thank a you, Beth. And the very last thing, last but not least, I've got to give a, a quick recognition to my mom, who is yes. right here. <laughs> give my mom a hand. Thank you, Mom. She's a big Diamondback fan. She is. We'll be at the game tomorrow night. Yep. So That's great. Thank you all again. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, live from Arizona State University. To podcast this show or any other Sports Business Radio show, visit us online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one -on -one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio, special edition, The Road Show at Arizona State. Once again, thank you to Derek Hall from the Arizona Diamondbacks for joining us as my special guest at the Roadshow. Also want to thank Josh Rawich, the terrific senior vice president of communications at the Diamondbacks who helped coordinate everything with Derek at our Roadshow. Want to thank the WP Carey Business School at Arizona State. They were terrific. The Sports Business Association there was fantastic helping us organize the venue. They had students there, faculty. It was really a great event. So thank you to them. Want to thank Pistano for not only powering Sports Business Radio, but also, once again, providing terrific visuals at our event. Go to Pistano.com to see what they can do to activate your social around your event or your sports franchises. They've got the L.A. Kings, the Boston Red Sox, the Dallas Cowboys, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're also going to be a big part of our upcoming Sports PR Summit in New York. We've also got the Junior Sports PR Summit if you're an up-and-coming uh, executive in PR. If you're a student, we're doing an event on May 18th at the Edelman Penthouse floor in Manhattan. Great opportunity for networking, learning how to advance your career in sports. If you want to go to the senior invite only sports PR summit, go to sportsprsummit.com. You can find out more information about how to attend our event on May 19th at Sports Illustrated. Really a fantastic event. And we hope to see you there. Chauncey Billups, Tiki Barber, Jay Williams, uh, a panel from Sports Illustrated. It's going to be a fantastic event if you work in and around sports PR, social media. It's a must-attend event. Again, find out more information at sportsprsummit.com. A lot of thank yous on the show this week to my staff. This marks 11 years of Sports Business Radio. 11 years ago this week, we started Sports Business Radio, and the show has grown. We've developed a road show. Our podcast is very popular on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're in TuneIn Radio. Uh, it's really been a lot of fun. I work with some great people. Brian Griggs, our executive producer. Bobby Corser, my former producer. Josh Blank. Keith Foreman, my co-founder of Sports Business Radio. Doug Zanger. And I want to welcome Diane Penny, our new Vice President of Partnership Solutions She's going to help us find the right partners for our roadshow and some of the other events that we do. She's a fantastic addition to our team. Again, thanks to our friends at Pistano for powering sports business radio. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. A podcast reminder, just as I mentioned a moment ago, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news podcast. You can also find our show via TuneIn Radio and the Stitcher apps. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named to the top 100 sports business must-follows on Twitter by Forbes Magazine. Uh, so that's a great honor for us. And again, a reminder that we're on sale with the 2015 Sports PR Summit and the Junior Sports PR Summit, as I just mentioned. Go to sportsprsummit.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi. 
Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pistano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com.